So I'm going to speak a bit, uh, a bit longer than uh, maybe about around 25 minutes now. So um, if you've got Bibles in front of you, I'm sure the people next to you can, can help point you to those things. But if you don't want to have a Bible in front of you, you can just listen to what I'm saying. And uh, hopefully you'll understand what I was reading from a, a bit better afterwards. That's the plan. So, I wonder if anyone has ever made you something as a gift before. Uh, maybe they've painted you a picture, or maybe they've baked you something really tasty, or maybe they've knitted you something warm to wear. And when someone has had the foresight, the commitment, and the kindness to make you something to enjoy, then you are more thankful than ever, aren't you? It's, it's even more special than them spending uh, money on a, on a gift when they've put the hours in to, to create something specially for you. And as we dive into the, back into the book of Genesis this evening, I want us to look at something God has made especially for us. It is something for us to enjoy. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. A Sabbath is referring to this special day, and it's a gift for you to enjoy. Maybe the word Sabbath has for us a rather negative ring. I don't know uh, whether it does for you, but for some people here, it might conjure up pictures of, of dreary Sunday afternoons with your grandparents dozing and the children not allowed to do anything that resembled fun. I heard uh, one preacher say there was never a, dry, uh, a, a duller day than a, a rainy day in, a rainy Sabbath day in Scotland uh, because they weren't allowed to do anything. And I don't know what sort of baggage or preconception you may have about this subject and that the negativity or the, uh, perhaps the rule-keeping aspect of Sabbath gets in the way of our understanding of what it is really about. The Sabbath is good. It can be a, a remedy to the relentlessness of back-to-back lessons in school maybe or, or back-to-back meetings and looming deadlines and endless messages and constant firefighting. Uh, the Sabbath is the answer to the, the hamster wheel, you know, going round and round and round again where mornings begin in a rushed way and you've uh, woken up later than you should have and you've rushed breakfast and you, you have a gulp down your coffee as quickly as you can and maybe uh, you've got kids and you need to drop them off and the homework's been forgotten and the car won't start and you finally make it to the school run maybe and you've, the children have left their PE kit in the hallway and you go back to get it and by then you're late to work and your boss isn't happy uh, with what you've sent over, uh, sent over in an email so you're having to do that all over again and you're starving by this point but lunch has to wait so you uh, get that bit, extra bit of work done and then five o'clock comes, uh, the evening's blur into night and you're still trying to work and you're sacrificing family time and meals are hastily thrown together adding to the chaos and then you try and get some sleep to get away from it all but sleep has become a luxury to you and the to-do lists have invaded every moment and despite this relentless pressure there's a determination to push through uh, fueled by the hope of this brief respite at the end of the tunnel and then it begins again on Monday 
Does this seem familiar at all to you? Uh, there may be some details that make it uh, a little bit more like yours or maybe a little bit more like mine or, or I don't know, maybe the context is the endless tasks at home rather than, um, than work. I, I don't know, but I'm sure the principle still applies. We're a busy bunch of people, aren't we? We are busy people, uh, whether we're in school or whether we are retired. The good news for you I have this evening is that you are made for so much more. Uh, You were made to stop. You were made to pause from everything, uh, to to rest. So let's have our Bibles open or or our ears open to to hear what the Bible says. And we're going to be in Genesis 2 to to begin with, but we're going to be in other parts of Scripture too. And tonight, hopefully, it's not going to be about what Dalan's opinions on the Sabbath are or what you say about the Sabbath, or what you think the Sabbath says, or what your, uh, what your parents or your grandparents said about the Sabbath. No, uh, I want tonight to be about what the Bible says about the Sabbath, what God says. So let's uh, look at Genesis chapter 2, and uh, the first thing I want to acknowledge is that uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 really belongs to chapter 1, Okay. Although the whole Bible is without error and was inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, the chapters and verses were added at a much later date by uh, human beings that made mistakes sometimes. And sometimes the, the, the little numbers that they put in and the chapters that they put in, they can be a little bit unhelpful. And this is one of those examples. Most of the time they're brilliant, but this time uh, it's a little bit unhelpful. So when you read the last verse of chapter 1, you see that it comes together perfectly with chapter 2, verse 1. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. It makes a really good parallel between the first verse of chapter 1 and what should be the last verse of chapter 1. The chapter beginning with, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth, and then it should finish with, and the account of creation finishing with, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. So you get this amazing picture of God creating everything in six days. And then we arrive at this seventh day, because we know there are seven days in a week, don't we? And we notice that it's different from all the other days. There's not this same creation formula. We don't see the same thing that we saw at the, at the start of each day in, in chapter 1, and then God said, because God's creative word is not required. It doesn't have the usual refrain, and there was morning, and there was evening. If you look at verse 3 of chapter 2, uh, the Sabbath is the only day that is blessed and is made holy. You may have noticed when you read verses 2 and 3, there's a repetition there. In the Bible, if if you're reading the Bible for yourself and something is repeated, that's the the writer telling us this is important. And if you read read verses 2 and 3, there's that repetition. The seventh day, the seventh day, the seventh day, three times. And this is a poetic device that is supposed to help set it apart and show us how special it is. Seven is a, a significant number in the Bible. It's there to reflect completeness. Uh, before uh, David Beckham made 
number seven important. God had made it important. And so on this seventh day, what does God do? He finished his work. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. And you might be thinking, why does God need to rest? If God is all-powerful, if he can do anything, if he can create a world in six days, he doesn't strike me as the kind of person that would need a rest. Is he exhausted from the exertions of creating the world? Well, we know that can't be the case. Because Isaiah 40 tells us, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. So why does God do it? Well, God has just made man in his image. And now he rests, giving his image bearers a model and a pattern to follow. God works for six days and then he rests the seventh. And we image bearers, us as human beings, get the privilege of copying God. The word means not only to rest, but to to cease from, to stop. Because God stops creating, but he's still at work. God is sustaining and he is sovereign over everything. Uh, He isn't a a, a watchmaker God who, who makes something, he makes the world and then lets it go and lets it just get on with things. No, God is, is very much still involved in the world that he has made. But he does rest. So why do we struggle with this idea of rest? When the Bible tells us that rest is a good thing and the Bible tells us that God rested in order to give us this, this pattern to follow, why, and we, we, we like the idea of rest, if, you, if someone tells you you can go on holiday, well, I hope, you like the idea of rest. You usually get excited, don't we, about the idea of rest, and yet we struggle to do it. Why is that? Uh, well, uh, there's a lady called Jen Wilkin who's written a really helpful book about the Ten Commandments, um, and she makes this really helpful observation. Let me read it to you. Uh, she says, uh, Thomas Edison made a breakthrough in the 19th century which changed the world. He invented the light bulb. Edison himself believed sleep was a waste of time. He was known to work over 100 hours a week and insisted that his employees stick to the same sleepless schedule that he did. He adhered to and promoted a philosophy that rest was the enemy of productivity, once saying that there is no real reason why men should go to bed at all. And with his invention of the light bulb, people were no longer governed by daylight in order to work. And this is where uh, Wilkins point is really helpfully made. And then she says, though Edison's let there be light may have ushered in sleeplessness, the divine creator who uttered let there be light also kindly declares let there be rest. You see, we find it hard to stop because we believe that the world needs us to be doing things and working and helping all the time. That the world would would somehow uh, stop working if we were to stop. Now there is a a fine balance between responsibility and relentlessness. That is why God doesn't call us for seven days of rest. Work is, is good, but there is a pattern here to follow. Six days of work and one day of rest. 
you may feel that this command limits you. I wish I could do more. I need to do more. Or maybe you can associate with the people in Amos's day who complained at having to stop their work on, on the Sabbath and cried out, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? And the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal de- uh, deceitfully with false balances. So they uh, had been told to stop working and they just wanted to carry on. They didn't want to stop making money. They wanted to carry on. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel God is in- inhibiting you and-, and limiting you by telling you to stop. But God didn't institute the Sabbath in order to do these things to inhibit you or limit you. It's for your good. Well, you might respond, well, isn't the Sabbath for Jewish people? It's a Jewish word and Jews uh, are the ones that look at it. Hasn't Jesus come to fulfill the Sabbath as he has all the other aspects of Jewish law? Well, notice that much like marriage and work in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that Sabbath was established from before the the Jewish people were established, before God made promises to Abraham, before the Exodus and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. It says God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So we can't do away with Sabbath, the idea of Sabbath rest, because it's a, a Jewish thing. Otherwise, we'd have to do away with marriage and do away with work. That's just not the case. It is hardwired into the human condition. We were made for this divine pattern of working and then resting. And we can see that even before the law was given at Mount Sinai. Uh, When God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, uh, that is uh, the the moment where, where God sets out his expectations for his people But four chapters earlier in Exodus 16, we read earlier, didn't we, when God feeds them from the manna in the wilderness, he tells them to pick twice as much manna on the Friday so that they may rest on the Sabbath. Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath. um, Sorry. Um, Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. It did not stink. There were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. So God was saying, I'm going to provide for you. You just rest and I will provide everything's going to be fine. And then, if you just think it's some sort of kind of uh, little habit that God wants them to have, then it's literally written into stone when God institutes the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day, a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, You or your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the seas and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And the reason that is given why they should observe the Sabbath is so that they may remember their creator. 
that there may be a, a day set aside in their schedules for them to cease from all their work, both as individuals and whole households, and to worship the Lord. So the Sabbath is about this, but it's so much more. Now remember, we're going through our Bibles now uh, in Deuteronomy. This is after uh, the people have, uh, there's been a generation who have died in the wilderness for their lack of faith and their grumbling. And Moses gives the law again. He reminds them of God's law 40 years later after he was given it. And in Exodus 20, he's, remember, he tells them the Sabbath is here to remind you of your, your wonderful creator. In Deuteronomy 5, where he's giving it again, he says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. So there's no mention of creation here. So yes, Sabbath was an opportunity to reflect on creation, but it's also about redemption from slavery. You see, when the people of God had been slaves in Egypt, you don't get sick pay, do you, when you're a slave? You don't get a time off, you don't get a weekend, you don't get a, a, a day of rest. Pharaoh wouldn't let them stop. By his uh, cruel hand, the people were forced to work in horrible, unrelenting work conditions. They made bricks without straw, with the sun beating down and the whip cracking on their backs. Pharaoh saw himself as a god, and he demanded endless work. And the gods that the Egyptians worshipped, who they had created in their own likeness, were the same. They required endless sacrifice, ceaseless labour. But what about the true God? The true God's different. He does give rest. He reminds Israel of the rhythm that he wants from them. A covenantal sign of grace to work and then rest. And the same pressures that Pharaoh put on the Israelites are on you today. Life is frantic. The phone is never off the hook. Everything is 24-7. Uh, you're always available and each day bleeds into the next and you don't stop. And throughout the Old Testament you see this battle and we see it in our own lives too. So do we trust God enough to rest? Do you trust God enough to rest? Isaiah pleaded with the people, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honourable, if you honour it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The Lord so clearly wants his people to honour the Sabbath, to enjoy it, to delight in it. So what do the people end up doing? God clearly wants them to, to respect this special day of rest. He wants them to keep it. Well, what do they do? Well, they don't do anything by halves, do they? Much like us, they go from one extreme to another. And the people start going, okay, you want us to observe the Sabbath? You want us to rest? Well, we'll go on better. And this is where the influence of a group of people called the Pharisees comes to the fore. And we see in the New Testament that not only have they tried to adhere to the Sabbath, but they have added their own laws in order to try and ensure that the Sabbath is kept. Now, this may have had good, righteous motives to begin with, 
but inevitably it becomes legalistic. It becomes a, a tick box exercise. It becomes self-righteous. And so we read, didn't we, from Mark's gospel earlier, that the Pharisees had twisted the entire purpose of the Sabbath. And rather than it being about resting from, uh, from their work and resting in God, rather than it being about ceasing, it became an opportunity for them to be hard at work, to make sure everyone knew how special they were. They used it as an excuse to ignore everyone else's needs. And so Jesus comes to flip this kind of thinking on its head. And we see later on in Mark's gospel that Jesus heals a man with a a withered hand in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are aghast. And Jesus says to them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remain silent because it's a stupid question, really, for them to have to try and answer because they know the answer. Of course it's better to do good on the Sabbath. Of course it's better to save lives than to kill. They've been made to look like fools. Now, we are not bound by a Sabbath in the same way as the Old Testament people of Israel were. It's important for us to notice the way in which Christ has fulfilled many aspects of the law so that we apply these in in different ways. We don't circumcise people today. We don't observe feasts like the Passover. We baptize and we have the Lord's Supper. But the principle and the rhythm that the church has followed for the past 2,000 years is to see Sunday as a new sort of Sabbath. So let me encourage you to do the same, to select Sunday as your day of rest. And the reason I say that is is because that's the day that the church calls in the New Testament, sets aside and calls the Lord's Day. That specific phrase, the Lord's Day, it's only said once, but it's, it's there in Revelation 1 and verse 10. And it suggests that this was the common name among the early Christians for Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. And it seems to point out that this day was set apart. And of course, we're supposed to be devoted to the Lord every day. But the very existence of this expression, Lord's Day, in the New Testament, implies that there was something special about this day. That it was a day set aside for Christians to focus their attention on God even more than usual. Now, it's not for me to be prescriptive in the minutiae of what you do on Sundays. I don't want to do that. One clear call uh, in scriptures is to gather together as believers. That is what the disciples did and the early church in the book of Acts. And the writer of the Hebrews encourages the people to do the same. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if you're able to come here on a Sunday and meet together with God's people, then do, please do join us. But what you do with the rest of your Lord's Day is a matter of conscience and what you think will honour God and what you think will honour others. Are there things that you only do on Sundays or is it like every other day of the week for you? I hope it is a highlight of the week, that what you do 
uh, what you listen to, what you read or what you watch or what you eat or where you go and who you see on that day is all an expression of, of rest and of worship. It's a, a rest, not just of, of sleeping, but it, a rest that restores and, and reorients you and reminds you of who your creator and your redeemer is. And I hope it's a day that reminds you that this is God's world and it doesn't need you or me to keep on working. And a bit like every night's sleep is a reminder that the world continues in your absence because we trust in a God who doesn't sleep or slumber. Then the Sabbath is a day to remember the world's going to be fine without you, okay? The Sabbath is not to be a laborious burden, but a day of rest and of worship. Jesus doesn't attack the Sabbath, but shows that he is Lord of it. He clarifies what it's all about. He tears down the walls that the Pharisees had built up. And Hebrews 4 frames the idea once again. And the idea in Hebrews 4, if you, if you open it up, I'm going to read a few verses from it. Hebrews chapter 4 uh, frames the idea of Sabbath in the, re- in the light of what the Israelites went through in the wilderness. Uh, verse 5. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter. And those who formerly received the good news fail to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So we see here that Jesus came and died and rose again in order that we might have the rest that Joshua couldn't give. Jesus worked in in full obedience to the Father, lived a perfect and righteous life, and his death, carrying the sins of all his people. And what did he say as he died? It is finished knowing that death would soon be vanquished. And using Israel's history, the writer of the Hebrews uh, speaks of this rest that we can enter into when we trust in Jesus. It is entering a, a final rest, by the work, not by the works of our hands, but through faith in what Jesus has done. We're all re- looking for rest, aren't we? I'm looking forward to, to rest this week. Uh, not just to put our feet up and have a kip, but to have full confidence that we don't strive for something with our own hands, but that Christ has removed our burdens and that he has accomplished our salvation and we are now clothed in his righteousness. And that's why we find great comfort, isn't it, when Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. St. Augustine, an early church father, around 200, 300 years after Jesus, said this, 
You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. In the Old Testament, uh, the people worked towards a day of rest. They would work Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday was their Sabbath. That was the last day of the week, and they, were, they rested. They were waiting for Jesus. That's why it was at the end of the week. But as New Testament believers, our week begins on day one with rest because we're working from it. It's our starting point. Jesus has already done it. We can rest in his finished work. Uh, I mentioned this on Wednesday if you were here. The Christian is someone who may look like they're at work but is always at rest. But the unbeliever is someone who is who is at work even when they're trying to rest. And so that is what the Christian has. The knowledge that they already have the answer. They're working, they're, they're, even in their working days, uh, living and, and breathing through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we look forward, don't we, with eager expectation of the day when we all rest forever. Uh, we read it on, on gravestones. We hear it when someone dies, don't we? We say, we say rest in peace. Uh, we, we long to, to be able to rest in peace. And we have this great promise in Revelation. In Revelation 14. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor. For their deeds will follow that is what we are looking forward to, isn't it? We are looking forward to spending an eternity with Christ, resting with him.